Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that this message encourages you today. For additional resources to learn about what it looks like to be fully alive with Jesus, visit our website at plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy the podcast. What did Jesus say to us? He said, in this world you will have trouble. Now I think the trouble comes from a lot of sources. It can come from just the fact that you're a Christian and so the, per- the world's going to be in opposition to you. But I also think that, that, that trouble just sometimes falls in your life. And that's what happened with this. Beth didn't do anything wrong to get cancer. It's a broken world and it just happened. Doctors always had a hard time pinning this down. Um, she had a, a melanoma on the back of her leg in the late 90s, and you know we, it was local, and we got that taken care of, and that's all over. Um, fast forward to the early 2000s, some symptoms popped up again, kind of out of nowhere. Um, so we wound up um, doing a whole summer of radiation. Uh, it was every day, um, but then. Um, I think it was in January of 2003, kind of took a, began to take a little bit of a turn for the worse. And uh, then by April, the cancer had spread through to other parts of her body. Um, we, we prayed together every day and, and our prayers were always every day for healing. But we were also always careful to pray, if that's not in your will, then help us accept your will. The thing that becomes a test is when it really turns out that way, that that you really don't get the thing that you really wanted. That's when it gets really hard. After she died, there was a lot of that that I had to deal with, you know. And there's a lot of that I was angry. And in my mind, you know, there's this script that you meet the person that you marry in college, and you have some kids together, and you grow old together, and and then that's the way it goes. And I remember having these realizations that God teaching me that there's not a script. I think for some people, when they have an an incident like this in their life, you know, it becomes a crisis of faith and they say, God, how could you do this to me? And they turn and they leave and they walk away. But for me, it was a thing where I could kind of feel Jesus turning to me and saying, you don't want to leave, do you? And, And so, you know, it just began to be a thing of praying to show me how to get through this. I can look back and say, I still don't understand it, but I can look back on it and say, well, my goodness, I have been able to talk to people who have lost their spouse because I did. So I think that's part of what God does. He just equips us for the things that are coming or the things that he needs us to do, no matter what it feels like, no matter how it seems, don't turn your back on God because he's already on the other side of it. He'll take you step by step and little by little and he'll let you know what you need to know at the moment and you'll get there. You will get there. Good morning, church. Uh, My name is Luke. I get to serve as one of the ministers here and I'm thankful for John being willing to share his story. Like Kyle said, each week we're going to be hearing the story from somebody in our church of how we process pain and suffering as followers of Jesus. Um, If you've got your Bible this morning, open with me to the book of Lamentations. It's in the Old Testament before the life of Jesus. There's two big books, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then the little short book of Lamentations. And as you can guess by the name, Lamentations. 
Lamentations. The book is a collection of laments. It's this compilation of sad little poems. And so it is a heavy book. And so before we really jump into the text today, I'd like to have a little bit of fun, if that's all right, because collections of sad poems aren't just an ancient phenomenon, are they? In fact, you know somebody who is famous for their collection of sad poems, uh, recent football star Taylor Swift. Uh, Yeah, you know, you know, right? So uh, we're going to play a little game. I'm going to walk down through 10 lyrics, and I want you to guess whether it's from a Taylor Swift song or from the Book of Lamentations. (laughs) Sound good? Okay, just keep a note in your mind of how you're doing and what your score is, okay? Lyric number one, here we go. She cries herself to sleep at night, tears soaking her pillow. Is that Taylor Swift or is it Lamentations? Drum roll, please. And the answer is Lamentations. Okay, very good. Let's move on to number two. Number two, your knives and swords and weapons that you use against me. Taylor Swift or Lamentations? Answer is that one's Taylor. Okay, very good. Lyric number three. Here we go. Lyric number three. My eyes are blind with tears. My stomach is in a knot. Taylor or Lamentations? Answer Lamentations. Okay, very good. Moving on. Number four. How you doing? You keeping score in your mind? Okay, here we go. You're like a lion ready to pounce. Taylor or Lamentations? Answer. Lamentations. Okay, very good. Lyric number five. Here we go. This yearning in the deep part of my heart for you. And that is... That one is Taylor. Okay, very good. We're moving on. Keeping score in your head. How we doing? Okay, here we go. I'll never forget the trouble, the poison I've swallowed. What is that one? Taylor or is it? Oh, nope, that one's Lamentations. Okay, very good. Keep going. Here we go. Next lyric, but there's one thing I remember so I can keep a grip on hope. What do you think? Answer. That one's Lamentations too. Okay, very good. Next one. I'm aching, no past, nowhere to hide. What do you think? What's the answer? Okay, very good. Taylor, okay, moving on. All we are is skin and bone. Sounds like Lamentations, but that one's also Taylor. Okay, very good. I think we got one more, one more. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he's young. That definitely sounds like Taylor. Um, (laughs) But I think that one's Lamentations as well. Did anybody get all 10 right? Anybody? If you got all 10 right, you either know your Bible incredibly well or you need to listen to some real music. Can I get an amen (laughs) this morning? (laughs) We've just come out of a series through the Lord's Prayer because we are a praying church. We pray big prayers to a big God because we believe that anything that God has ever done anywhere, he can do here. And anything that God has ever done at any time, he can do now. And anything that God has ever done for anyone, he can do for us. We believe that. Scripture teaches that. So if that's true, then why is life so hard? If God is really so good, like, why all the pain that we experience? If God is really so strong, why the suffering all around the world? How are we supposed to process this? We have to be honest about it. And I'm thankful today that the Bible is really honest about it. Suffering is not hidden in the fine print of the Christian life somewhere. It is written in bold. You heard John Arvin say it just a minute ago that Jesus said in John chapter 16, in this world, you will have trouble. It's a promise. And I mean, think about it. You read through the life of Jesus in the Gospels, and for every one miracle that Jesus does, there's a whole bunch of miracles he doesn't do. 
There's dead people who stay dead and sick people who stay sick and blind people who stay blind and Jesus himself gets crucified. And in our world where wars drag on in Ukraine and Israel and Gaza and our societal anxiety is through the roof and deaths of despair are on the rise and addictions wreak havoc on people that we love and it seems like our prayers go unanswered. How are we supposed to think about that? Um, Maureen Wetzel serves on our staff here, but before that, she served for years as a missionary in Kosovo. And some of you will remember the conflict in the Balkans there in the 80s and 90s. It was a full-scale ethnic cleansing. And Maureen could tell you stories about how Serbian troops would come into Kosovar villages and they'd line up all the men on one side and all the women and children on the other side and they'd shoot all the men and then they'd turn to the women and the children and they'd say, we did this so that you could remember. And the thing about it was, Kosovo is a Muslim country. Serbia is not. Those Serbian troops came in the name of Christianity. This was genocide in the name of Jesus. And so Maureen can tell you about doing ministry to these women who had been raped by Serbian troops. And then those troops would carve crosses in their chests as a reminder. God, how can you let that happen? And Maureen can tell you about the challenges of doing ministry and trying to bring the good news of Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross into a culture where that symbol is anything but redemptive. I don't have words for that. So what do we do with that kind of pain? Well, even when we don't have words, God has hardwired into our bodies a physiological response to pain, right? He gave us tear ducts. We cry. To cry is, is human. Nobody ever had to teach you how to cry. To cry is a completely human thing. When breath first entered your lungs when you were born and you've exhaled for the very first time, the first sound to come out of your vocal cords was a wail. You are a weeper by nature of being human. To cry is completely human. But as you get older, we kind of develop some more emotional skills and self-control, and we are sometimes told we're not supposed to cry, right? And, and, and so we develop a little bit more control over these things. And I'll, I'll never forget when, when Judah, our oldest, was two years old. We're driving around in the car somewhere, and he's crying. And I don't remember exactly what he's crying about, but I'll never forget turning around to look at him back in his car seat because the crying stopped, and all of a sudden, he wipes the tears from his cheeks, and he's got this look of confusion on his face. And he wipes the tears. And he says, guys, there's pee coming out of my eyes. <laughs> and you get a little older and you learn like, hey, maybe you're not supposed to cry all the time. And what, what, what is this, right? And, 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 and you learn how to put on a face, don't you? And you put your filtered life on Instagram and you come to church and you put on your Sunday face. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? But what about when all that gets shattered because I'm convinced that the happy clappy paper thin veneer of bumper sticker spiritual truisms is a faith that is not strong enough to withstand the pain and the suffering and the disappointment of life in this broken world so what do we do what do we do when life hurts 
Thankfully, God has given us a language for this. Uh, There's a type of prayer in Scripture called lament. And so for the next four weeks, like Kyle said, we're going to be walking through a book of the Bible full of laments that is creatively titled Lamentations. So let's just set the table here before we jump into the text, and let's ask the question, what is lament? What is lament? Lament is is three main things. Thing number one is this. Lament is a faith-filled protest. It's a faith-filled protest. Um, There's an author named Philip Yancey who tells a story about a hospital chaplain who went in one time to visit this terminal cancer patient, a guy who is on his deathbed. He's, he's close to the end. And when the chaplain goes in, this guy confessed to the chaplain that last night he'd spent the whole night ranting and raving and swearing at God. God, how could you let this happen? The morning came in, and, and the guy was just racked with guilt. Oh, my goodness, how... How, how could I talk to God like that? How could I treat God like that? Here I am on death's doorstep. I've probably just lost my, my only good shot at eternal life. And, and the chaplain was a really wise man, and so he asked this patient, he said, uh, what is the opposite of love? And the man said, well, hate. And the chaplain said, no, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifferent, indifference. And you have not been indifferent towards God, or else you would not have spent all night talking to him. He says, do you know the Christian word for how you just treated God? The chaplain said, the Christian word for that is prayer. You have spent the whole night praying. And that type of prayer in your pain and your grief and your sadness and your confusion is called lament. It's this type of prayer that is a faith-filled protest. It's not an absence of trust. It's actually a way of complaining to God because we trust him. Mark Vrogop says this. He says, to cry is human, but to lament is Christian. And, And what he means by that is lament is an affirmation that, yes, the world is broken, But yes, we believe that God can still do something about it. Lament is standing in the gap between life's tragedy and God's sovereignty, between pain and promise, and announcing in faith, God, this is not right. You have to do something. Theologian Miroslav Volf says this. He says, you can only protest against the evil in the world if you believe in a good God. Otherwise, the Protest does not make sense. And, and man, if you open your Bible, you will find this kind of faith-filled protest all over the place. I mean, a ton of the Psalms, almost half of the 150 Psalms are lament Psalms. Solomon in Ecclesiastes laments the meaninglessness of life. Daniel in Babylon laments the sin of his people. Jonah in the belly of the whale laments his predicament and later on laments the death of the plant that gives him shade. Matthew laments the massacre of the babies in Bethlehem. Paul laments his physical suffering. God, can you please take this away from me? The martyrs in heaven in Revelation chapter six lament the suffering of God's people on on earth, we could go on and on and on. And listen, as a dad, I'll be honest, I don't love to hear my kids complain. <laughs> but apparently, your Father in heaven does. When you come to Him with a faith filled protest, He loves it. He actually teaches us how to do it. Lament is a faith filled protest. Here's the second thing lament is a safe place for tears. It's a safe place for tears. Um, Scripture is a lot less embarrassed about crying than we are. Now, if your internal monologue for how you handle pain and suffering is, suck it up, buttercup, 
That's what my dad used to say to us growing up. <laughs> or uh, there's no crying in baseball. Like, Tom, please tell me you get that reference, right? It's spring training time again, and all God's people said, amen, right? Yeah, but, but if that's your internal monologue, like put on a good face, stiff upper lip, if that's what you think, how you think you should handle it, I would gently encourage you to go read your Bible. Because Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, that there's a, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. He says there's a time to weep. There's a time to weep. And, and we see this all over the life of Jesus. Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who mourn. He says in Luke chapter 6, blessed are you who weep. And then later on in the shortest verse of the whole Bible, Jesus is kneeling outside the tomb of his friend Lazarus who died too young and he's there next to Lazarus's sister Mary and in John eleven thirty five, 35 it says in a powerful verse that in the face of all that pain and suffering, what did Jesus do? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Um, during this series we're going to sing a song that I love called Son of Suffering. And we'll sing it here in just a few minutes. And the first time I ever heard that song, I was in Israel on the Mount of Olives right outside Jerusalem, just right next to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we were there in that very spot where Scripture says that Jesus did this. It says that right there, during the, the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. So we're there next to the Garden of Gethsemane, remembering the tears of Jesus on our behalf. And there's this chapel there that we're sitting in, and the whole building is shaped like a giant teardrop, an amazing moment. And one of the girls in the group, she stands up and she starts singing this song. Blood and tears, how can it be? There's a God who weeps. There's a God who bleeds. And if God really weeps, and if God really bleeds, then what that means for you is that you don't have to get your act together before you come to him. You don't have to pretend that it's all good. Because pick up your Bible. The tears of God himself soak the pages of this book. I've learned this in my life over the last year or so. Um, I've lived a pretty charmed life. Grew up in a great family. I'm getting to do my dream job in a church that I love. I have an amazing wife, three healthy boys. Um, yeah, I've got my share of stuff to work on, but overall, life's been pretty good. And so Rebecca and I were really excited last February when we found out that we were pregnant with baby number four. And, and we do all the things you do when you find out you're pregnant, right? You start dreaming about the future and planning and where did we put all the baby clothes and Rebecca's puking her guts up, you know, and the whole nine yards. And, and I always think the most amazing part of any pregnancy is the ultrasound, right? I'll never get over the wonder of the fact that somehow over this nine-month span, my wife and God partnered together in the act of creation to form a human being in his image. Just incredible. And as the dad, really the only time you get to see it is on the ultrasound, right? And, and so, like, as the weeks go on, we get to see a couple ultrasounds, and this little baby, he's, he's growing, and he's healthy, and he's beautiful, 10 little fingers, 10 little toes. And, and, and of course, we, we know the odds, you know, and so we're, we're praying for protection, but to be totally honest, I thought we were far enough along that we were out of the woods. And so, day comes, Rebecca's going to her normal checkup appointment, and, and I, I'm at home with the, with the boys, and I'll never forget it. It's just burned into my brain. Beautiful day, sun shining, 
boys and I are outside on the tractor when I look down at my phone and I see a text from Rebecca. They can't find a heartbeat. And the world stops spinning. And I know a whole lot of you have gone through that same pain. But it's hard for me to get my head around. Because I've prayed with so many couples, and I've sat with so many dying people, and I've hugged so many grieving widows, and I've performed so many funerals. But this felt different. Because this time, death came to our house, and death knocked on our door, and death stole someone from our family. And I couldn't understand it. And so, you know, as, as the months went along, you know, we went through all the various stages of processing and, and we asked the questions like, God, how, how can we live in a world where, where, where this happens? Was this random? Did we, did we do something wrong? God, how, how could this be a part of your, of your good will for us? And everybody processes these things differently, you know? And, and for me, at least, I... I was never mad at God, but he did just feel very silent the whole time. Like it felt like at the time when we needed him most, we couldn't hear from him at all. And yet as we, as we cried and we talked and we prayed together over the months that followed, Rebecca and I, we learned together the value of biblical lament, like coming into God in faith to protest, this isn't right. And when we did, we found that, that God was a safe place for our tears. In fact, the whole time um, this sat on Rebecca's bedside table, I've had multiple people ask me today if this is a bong. It's not a bong, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca's not really into that. <laughs> this is an ancient Jewish tear bottle. And so someone who is in a season of, of grieving would use this to collect their tears as they wept, as an act of love for the person that they lost, and, and often would even offer this to God as, as a prayer of their mourning and their lament. And King David says this in Psalm 56. He says, you have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? And so I don't know where you are today, but I do know that God sees you and that every tear you have ever cried matters deeply to him. Lament is a faith-filled protest and it's a safe place for tears. But here's the third thing. Lament is also a school for compassion. Um, I have a few spiritual gifts that God has given me just like you do. You know, I have some things that come naturally to me. And let's just say compassion is not one of those things. <laughs> but when you go through a season of suffering, I don't know what it was like for you, but at least for me, it felt like, it felt like God was taking a shovel to my soul. It felt like he's just chiseling out a hole in my heart through sorrow. And I learned that over time, if you'll let him, he will then fill that hole back up with a greater capacity for love and compassion than you had before. 
He'll make you a student in the school of compassion. Now, if you're anything like me, sometimes when you're with somebody who's grieving, going through a hard time, with somebody who's suffering, you don't really know how to help, right? You don't really know exactly what to say. You don't really know exactly what to do. And, and during our season of grieving, maybe some of you have experienced this too, there are a lot of people who stepped in and they tried to help. And they said things out of good intentions, meaning to encourage us, that actually ended up just making it hurt even worse, you know? Saying, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. If you just, if you just have more faith. Everything happens for a reason. And I know, I know they meant well at all. Pure hearts. But please understand, those, those are lies about the character of God. And they hurt people. And so when you enroll in the school of lament, what you will learn is that in suffering, lament teaches us just how to step into the pain right alongside somebody, not to fix it or even to explain it, but just to hold them up before the mercy of God. Lament is a school for compassion. So now, now that we know what lament is, that it's a faith-filled protest, it's a safe place for tears, and it's a school for compassion, let's go ahead and jump into the book of Lamentations. We're going to be covering chapters one and two today. Um, do not fret. We're not going to be able to cover every single little thing. But I would encourage you this week to go read the book of Lamentations. Real short, five chapters, take you 20 minutes to read, short and sweet, but it is not easy to understand at all. So let me just remind you that we have these fully alive journals for you around the building because our deepest desire is that you would become fully alive in Jesus. And that means God made you for three things. He made you for life with Jesus, in community, and on mission. So we want you to spend time with Jesus in his word and in prayer, and this is a tool meant to help you do that. And man, if, you're, if you want to help walk with a friend to Jesus or help develop that habit that you don't have in place in your life yet, grab one of these, grab a couple of these, whatever you need to do, they are there for you. If you've fallen out of the habit, let's jump back on the wagon, and I hope you'll uh, get to spend some time with Jesus in the book of Lamentations over the next few weeks. But before we jump in. Here's the situation in Lamentations. The situation is this. The situation is Jerusalem's destruction. Jerusalem's destruction. Now, we'll get to that here in just a minute, but keep this in mind as we walk together into Lamentations chapter 1, verse 1, which says this. It says, how deserted lies the city, once so full of people, how like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Pause right there. We're talking here about the destruction of Jerusalem. But the Jews actually did not call this book Lamentations. The Jewish name for this book was Ekah. Say that with me. Say Ekah. And Ekah is the Hebrew word for the first word in Lamentations, how. This is the book of how, and what a fitting title for a season of lament. Because you've asked those questions too, haven't you? Like, God, how could you let this happen? God, God how am I going to make it through this? God, how am I going to know the way? God, how come you aren't doing anything? God, how is this going to turn out? And the specific how that we're talking about here is that Jerusalem, the, the queen city of Israel, Jerusalem, the chosen city of God, Jerusalem, the city where David was the greatest of kings and where Solomon lived in all of his splendor, Jerusalem, the city that nobles and travelers from all over the world came to, to behold the magnificence of God, Jerusalem, the bride of God, has now become a widow. Jerusalem, the queen city, has now become a slave, empty, abandoned, in ruins. Why? What in the world happened here? Well, um, the guy who's writing the book of Lamentations is the prophet Jeremiah. Say, Jeremiah. 
Excellent. Now, Jeremiah's nickname was the weeping prophet. Sounds like a really fun guy, right? And, and, and the problem with Jeremiah was that God came to him when he was a kid. And God said, Jeremiah, I've got a message that I want you to deliver to my people, and you're going to spend your whole life delivering it, but they're not going to listen. Man. And God was right. Jeremiah had, had a really, really tough ministry. He prophesied, but nobody obeyed. He preached for decades, but nobody listened. He said, hey, stop worshiping idols. Come back and worship God. Stop disobeying. Come back and trust only the Lord. Don't trust in alliances with other countries. Like, repent of your sins, and God will restore you. But the people didn't listen, just like God said. And so eventually, after decades of this, just like Jeremiah told them, Babylon shows up on Jerusalem's doorstep to conquer them. And Jeremiah says, hey, listen, this is punishment for your sins. You should just surrender to Babylon, accept your fate, and it will go better for you. But again, the people did not listen. They said, we're not going to surrender to Babylon. We're going to fight. And the people of Israel based that decision on three false hopes. Number one, they said, listen, God made a promise to King David that somebody from his family is going to sit on the throne forever. God won't let Jerusalem be overthrown. Plus, we've got the temple here. God's not going to let his temple be destroyed. Plus, we've got an alliance with Egypt. They'll help us. Three false hopes. And, and, and so instead of trusting God, instead of repenting of their sin, instead of listening to his word, they trusted three earthly institutions to save them. The monarchy, the temple, and Egypt. I hope this goes without saying but there is no earthly institution that can save you. You know that, right? Like empires don't last, nations fail, companies dissolve, degrees and resumes turn into obituaries, the church cannot save you, the government is not our hope, and your family heritage will not get you into heaven. Only Jesus can save you. And so sure enough, Babylon comes and lays siege to Jerusalem for 18 months, and it's horrible. Suffering, disease, starvation, death all around. And eventually they destroy the city, they burn the temple, kill a bunch of people, take other people into exile. And Jeremiah's response after witnessing all that suffering and destruction is to write the book of Lamentations, to echo the lament of the people and say, how, how could this happen? And he lays out three quick things for us. The first one, he says, is that the problem was sin. The problem with all of this was sin. Now listen to me clearly. Not all suffering is judgment for sin, but this suffering is. Lamentation says of Jerusalem in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, The Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins. Now, listen to me clearly again. Not all suffering is judgment for sin. We live in a fallen world. Like John Arvin said, sometimes things just happen. Sometimes God is testing our faith. There's also a real and living devil who's out to steal and to kill and destroy. But sometimes, like here in Lamentations with the destruction of Jerusalem, sometimes suffering is a consequence for sin. Sin was their core problem, and it's my core problem too. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. That's all I deserve. And so God says in Hebrews chapter 10, it's mine to avenge. I will repay. The Lord will judge his people. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So listen, I love you. I love you dearly. I hope you know that. 
but I would not be doing justice to the text, and it would be pastoral malpractice for me not to warn you today that if you are intentionally waltzing around and groveling in a life of rebellion against God, if you are living in willful sin and ignoring the prompting of the Holy Spirit, dwelling in the darkness and refusing to step into the light, then Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Sin is a problem. And so then, Jeremiah's protest is, well, if sin's the problem, then that means God did this. The protest here is that God did this. If this destruction of Jerusalem is God's judgment for sin, then God is the one who's responsible for all this pain. In chapter two, in just the first nine verses, there are 26 action verbs attributed to God. Just a snippet of what, God says, or of what Jeremiah says that God did. He says God has thrown down his people, God swallowed them up, God demolished them, God brought them to the ground, God dishonored his kingdom, God cut them off, God withdrew his hand, God blazed against his people like a flaming fire, God strung his bow against them like an enemy. Over and over and over and over again, 26 times in just nine verses, Jeremiah makes it clear, God, you did this. Now, if you're an onlooker, a witness watching the siege, you'd be like, whoa, did you see what Babylon just did to Jerusalem? But Jeremiah doesn't give Babylon any credit. He says, no, God did this. In chapter two, verse 17, Jeremiah says, the Lord has done what he planned. He's fulfilled his word, which he decreed long ago. God warned the people all along, many, many years ago. Deuteronomy chapter 28, he told them exactly what would happen if they disobeyed him, but they still didn't listen. So listen, for you this morning, if the Holy Spirit has been nudging you and you have been ignoring him, if you have felt the weight of his conviction and you have done nothing, please Please don't harden your heart. Please don't go another day. Because if he's prompting you, like listen, you don't get infinite chances. And so when judgment comes on Jerusalem, Jeremiah says, you had your chance. The problem is sin. The protest is that God did this. And then the response is prayer. At the end of chapter one and the end of chapter two, even though God judges them, Jeremiah still turns to God in prayer. It's not a nice prayer, but it's an honest prayer. And I hope that's your response too. Jeremiah cries out in verse 20. He says, see, Lord, how distressed I am. And when you're distressed and you come to God, we have to be honest. And I have to tell you that like, maybe you're going to feel what I felt. And maybe you're going to feel what Jeremiah felt, that he pours out his heart to God and that God is completely silent. Because all throughout these chapters, chapters one and two, God never says a word. Jeremiah pours out his heart, and God is silent. And yet we know this is God's word, right? And he gave this to us, this book of faith-filled protests against him as a template for how we can come to him in our pain. Now, if you go read the book of Lamentations this week, maybe you're going to ask the question like, man, is it okay to talk to God like this? Or, or, or why would I even pray? Why would I even come to God? Nothing changes. He doesn't really care. But in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 4 says, no, 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 no. Keep, keep on approaching him. The author says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And why can we approach God like that with confidence? The answer is in verse 15 that right before this, he says about Jesus, he says, you can come to God confidently because 
We don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. You can go to God boldly because Jesus understands deeply. Nobody would choose to walk the path of tears. But when you're on it, you find that Jesus is on it too. Maybe you remember from Isaiah chapter 53, it says of Jesus that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus, he's a man of sorrows. He's, he's acquainted with your grief. He's, he's been here. He's walked in your shoes. He's suffered. He's cried. He's felt what you feel. He understands and he, he cares. And, and to those women in Kosovo who who still carry the scars of the cross. Jesus does too. Scripture tells us that even now in his resurrected and glorified body, Jesus still has those scars. And for me, um, when we found out that our baby had died, we, we named him Jordan. And before proceeding, we went to the doctor another time to have another ultrasound just to make sure and as I sat there holding Rebecca's hand, it just felt like God had been so silent, you know? And we looked at that screen and saw the picture of our baby's lifeless body laying there dead in the tomb of her womb. And for just a second, it felt like the silence broke. That in that moment, it was as if God whispered to our spirits, I did that to my son willingly. So that this wouldn't have to be the end of your son's story. And so we're going to come to God in faith. Holding on to these twin truths. The life is hard. And this hurts but that Jesus is alive and that God heals and that he's able to save. And as the months wore on, a lot of the time I still felt like God was silent. It was hard. Didn't know how to pray. Didn't know what to pray. Didn't feel like I could. And I'll never forget the moment that I was in my backyard. I got a phone call from one of the elders saying, hey, just want you to know that for the next hundred days, one of us is gonna be fasting and praying for you every single day. And when we didn't know what to pray, it was the prayers of God's people that got us through. That's the kind of church we wanna be, isn't it? And so we get the chance to do that today. And maybe for you, it's that you're the one who needs lifted up today. Maybe you're the one who's hurting, and goodness, we would love the chance to pray for you. And maybe you're the one today who needs to say, listen, I've been, I've been playing games for too long and sin's my problem and I, I need the healing that Jesus to give. I'm ready to step into the light and surrender. Man, the prayer team's gonna be ready. We're ready for you. But even if that's not you this morning, I'm gonna ask that you would have the courage to come on behalf of your brothers and sisters because you know somebody's hurting. You know somebody who's grieving. You know somebody who needs your prayer. And we're gonna be fully alive and we're gonna do it in community, okay? Uh, let me pray for you. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you 
that we can come to you confidently. We can approach your throne knowing it's a throne of grace because we've got a high priest who's able to empathize with our weakness. And so Jesus, thank you for understanding. Man of sorrows, son of suffering, we praise you. And so we know, God, that you are a safe place for our tears. And Lord, we've got some stuff in our lives and in the lives of people that we love that we are not okay with, but that we believe still that you're here, that you care, that you have the ability and the power to do something and to save. And so we're gonna come to you in faith today. And we also ask that you would teach us to be your hands and feet, that you would send us to the school of compassion and that you, through your word, through your Holy Spirit, through worship, through our interactions with one another, that you would enable us to be the compassion that you have for those who are hurting. We love you. We love your son. It's in his name that all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It is our deepest desire here at Plainfield Christian Church that you would experience the joy of being fully alive in Jesus. If you have any questions about our church or would like a plan to visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you'd like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.